welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's that time again. This is your host, Tyler Chef, and I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast, America's favorite podcast for make sense, practical real estate investing tips and knowledge, helping you get out of the rat race, run screaming out of that rat race once and for all. And let's talk about going broke today. That's right. How landlords go broke. That's what I'm going to talk about today. I've been reading a lot of financial news lately and just kind of paying attention to trends and seeing, seeing, trying to get an idea of what's going on in the world and listening to people like the Fed chairman when they come out and speak and really trying to put the politics aside and try to search for the truth, for the facts. And well, <laughs> a lot of the estimates that they're talking about right now, a lot of, there's a lot of estimating going on, facts and figures and, and this, that, and the other. And a lot of folks that are hypothesizing good, bad, indifferent and I'm going to cut to brass tacks. One thing I see, one trend I'm seeing across all channels is that a lot of folks don't want to talk about inflation. They don't want to talk about what's going on in the world as far as how it relates to our world economic system, let alone our U.S. economic system. And guys, I don't have a party affiliation. I'm not Democrat. I'm not Republican. For me, the politics doesn't matter. The facts are what matters. And the problem is, is what we find in this country and a lot of countries is we really have to search deep, long, and hard for the facts. Because if we rely strictly on what we read in the media, well, the media is, is manipulated. The government reporting is manipulated. It doesn't matter who's in office. They don't give you a lot of facts. So sometimes you have to stand back from things. You have to put down the, the CNN, put down the Fox News, step aside, back away from the New York Post or the Washington Journal or whatever other things they come up with and really look at the people, listen to what they're saying, watch the videos, guys, because in the videos, you can pick up a lot of mannerisms when people are talking. Now, I have a, a uh, unfair advantage, I'll call it, because one thing I learned from being a former law enforcement officer is I've gotten good at, at watching people and getting a read on them. In other words, I look for and I see and I've learned the clues that someone's blowing smoke up my skirt. I, I get it, right? I understand it. So, for me, I tend to lean towards video over audio because I want to get an idea of whether or not I think the person is telling the truth. And, and I'm going to give you an example of that. Recently, uh, Jerome Powell, I talked about this in a previous episode briefly, but Jerome Powell is the chairman of the Federal Reserve. And he did several press conferences lately. And I'm watching trends. I'm watching his press conferences. And when he's pressed about inf the word inflation, when the word inflation comes up, you see a change in his mannerism. In other words, he did a, a press conference a few about two months ago, maybe three months ago, where he flat out said that he didn't feel that there was any sort of anything to worry about regarding inflation. But I can tell you, the minute he uttered those words, he became visibly uncomfortable. So that may make you think, well, what the hell are you talking about? What's the big deal about inflation? Why does anybody want to talk about it? Well, inflation, and I've learned this from people like Ken McElroy and um, the real estate guys and Robert Kiyosaki and Peter Schiff and all the people I follow that are smarter than me. Those are the people I listen to. I'm a researcher of fact. And, I, and I'm and i also one that considers different opinions. I don't necessarily take them as fact, but I consider them and I do my research to find out what, what's going on. And the one, the one collective agreement that I come up with or collective idea that I come up with is inflation is a hidden tax. In other words, it's a way for you wind up paying more for things. When things inflate, when the cost of goods and services inflates you it's a hidden tax on your income so if you make i don't know you make 100 grand a year and let's say you spend 80,000 a year and you put 20,000 away with inf an inflationary environment when inflation's up let's say if inflation's 5% now 5% of your income 
on a hundred thousand dollars disappears because of the cost of goods sold. So if you spend eighty thousand dollars a year to live, let's say, and I'm just using round numbers here, right? It's going to cost you uh, over. It's going to cost you more money to accomplish the same thing, right? More money to accomplish the same thing. So if you spend eighty thousand dollars in a year and you have an inflationary environment that's five percent, that means it's going to cost you four thousand dollars more to do eighty thousand dollars worth of spending so if you, what are you, you're buying i don't care bubble gum and, and toothpicks all these things adds up to an additional percentage point so what is that increase right that's what we got to look at and the government puts out lots of stats some of them make sense to me others don't but one of the things i look at is the labor department consumer price index and i was reading in the wall street journal something i read every day well six days a week because it only come, doesn't come out on sundays there were they released uh the the labor department released a four percent there's saying that the consumer price index increased over the last year, April to April, 4.2%, which means the cost of things that we buy, everyday things, groceries, food, fuel, all these different things, they went up by 4.2%. So when you think about that, using my just example I just used, that's almost 5%. So in this case, the person that spends $80,000 out of 100,000 to live, putting the other 20,000 into savings, can't put the 20,000 into savings. Therefore, your hidden tax. So where does the money go? Well, it goes to the merchants and the merchants have to pay their share to the suppliers. And then the taxes, our taxes are getting ready to go up. Another, that's not a hidden tax. That's a pretty obvious tax, but all of these things deplete our income. So that person that's not used to putting 20,000 a year away can no longer put 20,000 a year away. Now they can only put 16,000 a year. And if it, if it increases again next year, let's say it stays the same. The next year, it's actually now no longer $4,000. It's a higher number because our spend is based on $84,000 next year, not $80,000. So it's basically compound interest going in the wrong direction. So $84,000, which means next year, it's probably what? $84,500 maybe. And I don't, I don't have a calculator in front of me to do the math, but you can do your own math. Bottom line is it's a hidden tax. It's something that sneaks up on us and just things cost more money. Some of you probably my age or older probably remember when water was free. Yeah. You got water for free. And, and when they even started to bottle water, I think it cost 25 cents. A newspaper, a local newspaper was, I don't know, a quarter, maybe a nickel. In the 1970s or the early 80s, actually, I don't remember the 1970s because I was born in 1970. But in the 1980s, I remember newspapers costing 10 cents, maybe 25 cents if it was the Sunday edition. I don't know when the last time you bought a Sunday edition in your newspaper is was, or if you have, but the last time I bought one, it was like over a dollar. It was like a dollar 75 or something. I was like, good gravy. <laughs> Got to have a have weighted down pocket full of quarters just to go get a newspaper when it used to take one quarter. So what does that mean? Well, a recent Wall Street Journal article mentioned that economists say that during inflationary periods, real estate far outperforms the stock market. And that's because it's a known fact that stock valuations often suffer as inflation increases. Well, that's legit. Think about it. People that are putting money into their IRAs, their their 401k plans, maybe they when inflation goes up and it costs them more to live their life, they scale back their investments, which does boil down to scaling back Wall Street. If you're the type of person that was putting, I don't know, 10% of your income away in an inflationary environment, that 10% is going to hurt because it leaves you less money to live your life. So now you have to change your quality of life. Well, these things obviously have a trickle-down effect and they impact the stock market. So with less people investing in the stock market, stocks valuations go down. And then comes the bad news. 
And then people panic because that's what people do, right? And when people panic, they go down even farther. Now, the savvy folks, they'll do what you call buy the dip, right? Things drop and they tank. They wait in the wings. And when the when the dip hits, then people are doing that right now with Bitcoin. They buy the dip. Uh, with Bitcoin, there's some people that are sitting there that are, there's several camps as far as Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and things like that. There's people that are 100%. They're on it. They're all on it. I mean, they whatever Bitcoin can do no wrong. It's the the new Jesus, right? And then there's the other camp. It's like Bitcoin is stupid. I wouldn't even think about it. And I'm in the middle. I'm I'm not for it or against it. I don't understand it. I'll be honest with you. And I don't. So if I don't understand that, I'm certainly not going to invest in it until I understand it. And I don't. I haven't found an educational source that has really helped me completely understand it such that I don't believe. So I can come to the conclusion that it's not manipulated because when it's invented by somebody we don't know and shifted by God knows what, I don't know. There's a lot of complexities there, but that's not what this episode about. This episode's about landlords going broke. So what does this all mean to a landlord? Well, guess what? As a landlord, you are a purveyor of rental property. You provide rental property, clean, safe, affordable housing to tenants. So what affects them affects you. So if in an inflationary environment, tenants sometimes will have a harder time paying the rent. I want to preface what I'm about to say with that. Uh, there are a host of folks that are not uh, prepared for inflationary type environments. And when that happens, they're impacted. And when they're impacted and the, <laughs> they're, they're paying rent to you, they start a lot of things, different things can happen. And it's going to very much depend on the type of tenant and the class of property they're in. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you're the type of person that does D or C class type properties, um, especially let's say D class properties, D class, D class properties are generally occupied by folks that are on a fixed income that are having challenges financially. So logic would dictate that they came into inflation poor. And for them, inflation hits them probably harder than anybody else because they're definitely not prepared for it. They don't have any savings and their income when inflation hits doesn't change if they're on some sort of government assistance or maybe they have an hourly job, whatever it may be. Uh, their income is pretty much the same. They don't have any resources available to them, or at least that they choose to take that uh, will increase their income to offset inflation. So what does that boil down to in plain English? Guy's making 10 bucks an hour, 15 bucks an hour, whatever he's doing, or girl waiting tables, doing whatever you're doing. If you're on a salary or on an hourly wage and inflation hits, that just hits you right in the shorts because you don't have the resources at your fingertips where you choose not to use them that will increase your income to offset inflation. Like the guy that digs ditches and makes $10 an hour, he's going to, if it, all he's capable of doing is $10 an hour digging ditches and there's a 5% inflation, he's hurting bad because he's only got so many hours a day he can work. Probably got to go home, take care of his family, do whatever he's got to do. And same goes for the ladies. That person's in a real pickle. Your C-class person, your person, your Walmart type, oh, they can take out more hours at work. Maybe they can work an extra shift, an hour overtime or two, and maybe that will offset inflation. So maybe for them, they have different opportunities in front of them than the, the D-class tenant or the low-income housing person, so they can make up the difference. And uh, I'd like to think that the C-class tenant is the majority of America. I'll call that the, the middle class. Uh, same would apply for, I'll call the C-class maybe the, the lower middle class and the B-class tenants that are in the nicer apartments, maybe not the gorgeous, amazing Taj Mahal type apartments, but the nicer ones that are in a B-class type establishment. They're more savvy. They've got money put away. They have a, a I would say, a better ability or gumption or or motivation to earn more money. They're 
higher income earners to begin with. So inflation doesn't affect them as much. Uh, they have resources and tools at their fingertips to make different choices and result in different in, in different outcomes. A class, same, same. Okay. It all works out in the end for the A and the Bs. And as you can see, the Cs can adjust. So what does that mean as far as you being a landlord? Well, one argument I see a lot is that folks say, I can't raise my rent because I'm afraid of losing tenants, which brings me to the question, what sort of tenant do you have? Are you a slumlord that has low income housing? Then I get it. Right. You, I owned property in Memphis. Boy, was that a learning experience? The folks there in the city are a lot of low income people. A two bedroom apartment we rented for between 250 and 325 a month. And when they don't have any income but what Social Security gives them or the whoever government agency gives them, you really can't raise their rent much because they can't do anything. If they're disabled, maybe they have some reason they can't go to work. They're not going to be able to make an adjustment to cover the difference. So what happens? Well, they have to move. That's what happens, which results in vacancy loss. So to the person, if you're renting crappy apartments, I get it. You're kind of stuck. You really can't do much. Maybe you can, I don't know, add a bedroom or something and squeeze a bigger extended family in there. I don't know, but the likelihood for you to be able to raise rents in a D-class type community is tough. And unfortunately, a lot of folks I see that are marketing properties are marketing these D-class properties going, oh, well, it only, it rents for 250 now, but you know, all you got to do is spit and polish and this bad boy will rent for 1150. I beg to differ. There's the money's not there because the tenants can't afford it. That's just the reality of things. But if you're a landlord, it's in a C-class type community. Can you eke out that four or 5% if we're using that consumer price index? Can you raise the rent four or 5% every year? And I'm going to say yes, absolutely. Yes. Especially if you have focused on tenants that have set themselves up to make adjustments when things change. If you are a B-class landlord, then I believe absolutely. Now, this is Tyler's opinion, right? This is exactly what I think, but it doesn't necessarily mean you agree. I get it. But I think that if you do a little bit of research, I think if you spend some time learning about the different types of housing that's available and the people that fill it, I think you'll see that if you're a A, B, or C-class tenant, or landlord rather, you can make adjustments without having too much trouble. So with that said, let's talk about A-class. Let's jump all the way up to A-class. A-class, you're scraping the top of the ceiling, right? This is the high dollar rent. The A-class people generally generate more money. They make more income. It would be reasonable to assume that these folks are more financially savvy. They have raised themselves to a point of being able to earn more money, provide more value to the marketplace, whatever you want, however you want to look at it. They're also going to look at value. Let's look at Key West. I live in an amazing place. And boy, did I get a deal? I'm renting down here in Key West right now until we figure out what we want to do as far as buying, but I'm renting a great place that's undervalued. However, the reason why I'm getting such a great deal is that we need to maintain the grounds on this beautiful place. It's this tropical oasis, paradise, palm trees everywhere. Guys, it is awesome. But the reason why we got such a great deal is because A, it's a six-month lease. It's over the course of the summer. So come November, busy season, I got to jump in the ring with everybody else and try to find a place down here, which is, there's a big shortage of housing here, affordable or otherwise. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even budget restricted and there's a tough time finding property down here. Why do you think we're doing an investment fund? There's just so much opportunity down here. It's crazy. I got a great deal because I'm providing other great value, but other folks are paying a lot more than I am to get a lot less. And in this market, it's whatever the market bears because there's a large number of people from across America that are coming to Key West that are willing to spend. They're not budget constrained. They're willing to spend whatever it takes and inflation doesn't mean anything to them. Yet there are a lot of landlords that are ignorant to what I'm saying and they don't raise their rents. And there are some cases where they've they've had the same tenant for 15 years and they're paying $1,500 a month for a gorgeous place in Key West that would rent for probably $3,000 a month if it was up to market rents. 
And they're only not raising it because of the fear of potentially losing that tenant. Well, if I can double my rent, I'm going to let the fear go away and show the tenant the door. But that's me. I'm a crazy capitalist, right? What am I thinking? But guys, understand that if you're dealing with A or I'm sorry, if you're dealing with B and C type properties, you should be able to build in rent increases every year. And the thing is, if you're a good landlord, you got to maintain your properties. So if the cost of goods that you need to maintain your properties and services, the lawn guy, the air conditioning person, the lumber yard, all these different things go up every year. If they're rising based on the consumer price index at four to 5% per year, and you're not raising your rent accordingly, you're going to hit a wall at some point. Because if you don't do that, for four years, guys, four years of no rent increases essentially is like saying you're willing to pay 20% more for the privilege of owning the same property you owned four years ago. That doesn't even make sense. That's crazy. So guys, girls, if you've got rental property right now, or you're getting ready to buy a rental property, the one thing you have to convince yourself of is that you're going to have to raise rents every year. And don't worry, People, there's already a shortage of available rental properties in many markets across the U.S. Florida, they're building at an alarming rate, and they still can't get ahead of the curve. There are still so many people, more people moving to Florida than there are places to put them. That you can continue to raise the rents, and you're not going to have a problem with capacity. That's my personal opinion, and I've got the data to prove it, especially in the Key West market. And guys, that's why we're investing here in the Key West market. One of the things you can do before I wrap up is if you want to change your rent income and you're, you just don't simply believe that you can raise it 5% or, and that's not enough for you or you want to do some major improvements or whatever, consider doing a short-term rental. And there are short-term rental availabilities in every market. And there's no such thing as it's illegal to do a short-term rental because short-term tenancy really in most lines of thinking is six months or less. So if you're in an area where there's seasonal traffic, you can get more during the season than off the season. So instead of, what does that mean? So if let's say you're in, I don't know, let's say you're in Boston and everybody loves the summer in Boston because it's beautiful in Boston, but man, is it just terrible in the wintertime, snow, sleet, all that's good stuff. So maybe in the summertime, you can rent that apartment in Boston for two grand a month. And I'm just throwing numbers out. And I know it's more than two grand a month in Boston, but I'm just throwing numbers out. And in the wintertime, that apartment rents for $1,000 a month. So if you have six months of each, that comes up with an average of 1500. You're doing better than you would if you had a long-term tenant at 1300 a month. So that's my point, guys. There's way, uh, different ways to skin this cat. Things you can do, a couple things you can do is add value on the front end, right? Go in and do, uh, in between tenants, do some rehab, do some improvement. And do the, take a chapter out of the book of the large apartment syndicators. What they're doing when they raise rents is they're coming in and doing improvements, creature comforts, things that people would want to garner a higher rent. And if you don't know those answers to those questions, what they want, then don't guess. Ask them. Go, to, go walk a, a tenant or a apartment building that's nice like you want yours to be and simply walk down the courtyard and say, hey, I'm curious and I'm thinking about buying an apartment building. What type of improvements are important to you? And you'd be surprised how many people will talk to you and tell you what matters to them. There are some places where the countertops make all the difference. I want some sort of stone countertops in my class A apartment. But to the person who's in a C-class apartment, they may not be as concerned about countertops and would rather have inside laundry because they don't like going to the laundromat. So asking these questions, folks, to the tenants in the tenant class that you're in can make a massive difference, guys, a massive difference in what's going on. I'd like to convince you that there's some sort of fancy course, there's some book you can buy that's going to do this work for you. Maybe there's a spreadsheet or an app coming out or a software program that will literally analyze all the stuff for you. We'll find opportunities. But guys, we all know 
These type of things don't exist. So how do you put deals together? Well, you either roll up your sleeves, you get out there and do it yourself. You do what I just said. You go out and talk to folks in apartment buildings that are similar to what you want. Or maybe you want to buy a, a mobile home park and you want to figure out what amenities that folks that live in the mobile home park want in order to perceive value and therefore pay more rent. Two ways you can do that. Roll up the sleeves, go out and talk to the people, or you can invest in someone else's opportunity where their team has already gone out and done that research. And frankly, that's a great question to ask if you're getting ready to invest with someone, if you're getting taken part in a syndicate, maybe you're a accredited investor and you want to put your money with someone that can go out and roll up the sleeves for you while you're busy doing what you do best, earning the money to put away to grow a nest egg in the first place. Well, those folks make sure they're well, make sure they're out there asking those questions. When you're on the webinars with these guys, ask questions, ask good questions, be comfortable with what you're doing. Ask them, how do you know this thing is going to rent? These apartments will rent for $750 a month. That you should be using more data points than rentometer or the property local property manager who's on commission. They should be considering several factors. Are they on the ground? Is it somebody in Chicago trying to tell you what things will do in Dallas, Texas? That's a problem. That's one of the advantages of what we're doing down here in Key West is that I moved down here to immerse myself in the market. Last June, we packed up our toys. We came down to the Florida Keys and I've spent the last year intensely studying the Florida Keys market. And what I've learned is that the opportunities available in Key West, guys, are absolutely legendary. There's so much that goes on here. It's unbelievable. I have never in my 20 plus years in the real estate space found a market that affords so many great opportunities, but it's hard to do those from your Barca lounge you're sitting in Seattle. Unfortunately, you have to, the way to do it, the way to really find the stuff that's not for sale, the stuff that's not on the radar, you're going to have to get up, roll up your sleeves and go shake hands and talk to folks. And that's why we moved down here to do that. And you're thinking to yourself, well, Dyla, if you're already down there, wouldn't it make sense to invest with you? And I'd say, if you're a accredited investor, heck yeah, it would. How do you do that? You go to keywestcashflow.com forward slash call. Again, that's keywestcashflow.com forward slash call, C-A-L-L. If you are an accredited investor and you want to find out what the heck I'm up to down here in the Key West market, that's how you do it. You'll get on the phone with myself and my partner, Mike Marino. We're going to talk to you about what we're thinking, what we're doing, who we know, how we're going to make this happen. And this will give you early opportunity to analyze what we're doing coming up here very, very soon. So if you're a credit investor, you go to keywestcashflow.com forward slash call. You whack that button. You schedule a time that fits for you. Let's get on the phone. Let's find out how we can help you. Let's find out how we can take you to the next level. That's how we're going to do it. Guys, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up there. But before I do, I want you to realize a couple important things things. This year can be, and I've said this before, I must say it again, the best year you've ever had in the real estate space. And frankly, if you've never got invested in real estate, now's a great time to do it. Even though the market's hot, even though people are in multiple offer situations, those that are out there on the street doing the deals, there's lots of opportunity out here. This is your time to shine. Got to roll up your sleeves. Go talk to people that are doing it. Learn, do, meet people, and make it happen. 2021 can be an amazing year for you, but you got to think positive. You got to get out there and start doing stuff. Guys, have a great week, and I'll catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.